Hi, this is the Reverend Andrew Christensen. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. We are a Christ-centered, reformationally-minded podcast that explores the history and theology of the Christian church. This podcast originally started as a forum for discussing the developmental history of Christian thought, what is often called historical theology. And it has since grown into an ecumenical team of hosts, myself, Stephen Burnett, Pastor Charlie Beeman, and the Reverend James Rickenbaker. We're all interested in the past, present, and future of the church. We share a commitment to the central place that grace has in the message of the good news, a message we feel often gets lost in our day and age, sometimes in religion itself. A message that is of God's goodwill toward us is echoed in the following words from St. Paul. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief one. I pray that the discussions in our episodes, whether casual or scholarly, can speak to how the story and witness of Christians from our past can comfort and strengthen us for today. God bless. Good morning, afternoon, evening. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to Doth Protest Too Much. And this is, I just realized, our 41st episode, if I counted correctly. We don't number the episodes, but this is 41. So it's not the big 4-0. I guess we missed an anniversary up, or not anniversary, but whatever you call it, commemoration of so many episodes from the last time. But that's all right. Uh, This is 41. And uh, it's also our first, very first episode of our hymn series, uh, which is means this is the very first episode where all four Doth Protest co-hosts are together. We got Stephen here, we got James here, and we got Charlie here, we got me here. And so we're all going to, similar to the Theologians Symposium that we did, uh, we did four, a four, which is a four-part series, I believe, where Charlie, James, and I went through our top five favorite theologians. Uh, this uh, series is going to be Charlie, James, Stephen, and I going through our favorite church hymns um, and or like worship songs. Um, and we all know what they are, so we won't be surprising each other. But, um, you know, we just thought this might be a good way just to remember that uh, one of God's greatest gifts to us is the gift of song, the gift of music. And um, I think the history of church hymnody can really just attest to this Um a wonderful part of creation and part of the human spirit, if you will, too, that um, of music. And so um, we're going to go ahead and uh, well, how's everyone doing um, today? Give us all a, uh, uh, I, gotta, I don't know, a current state as much as you feel <laughs> comfortable sharing. <laughs> Whoever wants to go first. Stephen, why don't you go first, man? Yeah. No, uh, we just, my wife and I just moved to uh, just north of Jackson, Mississippi. And so we are settling into our house. I've got my bookcase over here that does not have any books on it yet. Um, 
so we're still unpacking and all that stuff but uh it's going well yeah i see you got lots of coffee uh the the brewmaster your all your things are behind you and all your yeah oh i think you froze um so steven froze i think as he was talking um since he's frozen i don't know if he can hear me um i guess we'll go on to james i'm trusting steven will be back in a moment so um yeah things things are going well here um i'm trying to remember the last the last time we got together if my daughter had been born yet um but yeah so uh our our daughter abigail is now three months old so uh, she's doing very well sleeping very well mercifully um so church is going uh going very well as well my boss has been out of town for the last uh, week or so so i had a funeral and i've had several people in the hospital and and whatnot which par for the course i suppose and um yeah summer is in full swing so even though things kind of chill out at the church uh, there's still a lot that's going on and a lot to be done and continuing ed and all that kind of fun stuff. So yeah, Rachel, Eleanor, Abigail, and I are all doing well. Yeah. How about you, Charlie? Other than reading about Seminex, <laughs> which is in itself is very interesting, I should say. Yeah, it, that's been fun. I've been reading a lot about Seminex for a continuing ed class that I have in, I guess, three weeks, four weeks. Um, but, uh, mostly, um, like James said, things quiet down a little bit during the summer, but you still have things going on. Uh, last month, um, the Montana district of the Lutheran church, Missouri Senate had their convention, which is once every three years, I'm the district secretary. So that was about the most exhausting week of my life because every moment of every day I had to be paying attention to absolutely everything that was going on so that I could write down the official record. That was my first time being secretary at the convention. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately I was elected by acclamation. So I'll have to do it again in another three years. Uh, but I, I did find myself enjoying it even though I was exhausted. But, uh, yeah, summer's going fine. Um, I'm praying for not rain, which I almost never do in the summer. Has it been raining in Montana? Yeah, um, it's rained at least four or five times as much as it usually does. Hmm. It's it's pretty insanely bad. Well, um, sounds like you did your job really well that they wanted you to do it again. That's what happens um <laughs> so uh so um yeah steven welcome back we're actually i'm editing hey. the past, like three minutes out because we're just we're not we didn't we didn't get um we decided not to go ahead because we okay sorry about that guys oh you're good it happens man so um who wants to go first with your first hymn for this episode I can do it. 
Uh, go ahead, James. And uh, remember to pause after you. So for our listeners, we're getting uh, technologically fancy over here at the podcast. We have music to play for you today. You're really, listen, you're really in for a treat today. So <laughs> go ahead, James. I'm sorry. So uh, I've got uh, my first hymn in the series uh, is A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Martin Luther. Mighty Fortresses Our God. Um, that was played for for us uh, by my brother-in-law Aaron Shouse, who's a musician out in California, uh, works in Hollywood a little bit, and uh, and also is the organist at First United Methodist of Pasadena. So we're, we're really appreciative for Aaron playing the music for us. Um, that hymn was composed by Martin Luther, the words were, but the music was arranged by Johann Sebastian Bach. The other hymn tune, uh, the one that was written by Luther, is a little bit harder to sing, so I actually prefer the Bach version. Um, Luther composed it probably in like the 1520s. Um, it's been translated apparently over 70 times into English. That's pretty fascinating. But the one that everybody knows is by Frederick Henry Hedge. It's the most common one. That's the one that's in the Episcopal Hymnal 1982. Um, that's the one I grew up with, obviously, being an Episcopalian. Luther based this hymn off of Psalm 46, which is perfectly consonant with his uh, love for the Psalms. That was one of his favorite books of the Bible. It's been called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. Um, it was known for increasing support for the Reformation cause. If you read the lyrics, words, it makes a whole lot of sense because we're standing on God's side, or rather, God is standing on our side in opposition to Satan and his, and his folks. Um, there were a number of different, um, there are a number of different theories as to when Luther, um, when and under what circumstances Luther composed the hymn. One theory is that it was composed by Luther and then sung by Luther and company on the way to the Deet of Worms in 1521. Um, Another is that it was written by Luther as a tribute to Leonard 
Kaiser, who was executed in 1527. Another was that it was sung, composed by Luther and then sung by the German Lutheran princes as they made their way into Augsburg for the deed of Augsburg. And then the, the, the last one is that it was uh, composed by Luther and sung by uh, folks as they entered in for the deed of Speyer. Uh, is that how you pronounce that? Again, my German is not very good. Um, so that's a little bit about the background, but the words are obviously not in the recording, um, but I'll, I'll just go over a, a few of those um, and then hand it over to folks to say what you think about it. So the, the tenor of, if you'll pardon the pun, of the hymn is about, it's about the defeat of Satan and the victory of God in Christ, which is, you know, very reformational in its focus, as you would expect. Um, that's Luther's posture towards scripture, the way that Luther views things. Um, a mighty fortress, the first, the first verse uh, starts off with, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. So it's setting up, of course, that uh, Satan is the imminent power uh, that is opposing God and seeking, um, seeking to overthrow God very typical in Christian theology. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. So it's juxtaposing two champions in effect, the champion of evil, Satan, and the champion of the cause of God, Jesus. Christ must win, of course, so setting up the faith in, uh, in the view of a, a cosmic battle between God and Satan. Um, people tend to view Luther and Luther's theology through the lens of propositional statements about the faith and whatnot, and they think that Luther loses sight of the some of the realities of uh, spiritual warfare and whatnot, but they've clearly not read the words of this hymn or much else that Luther has written. Not everything about Luther is cerebral. Um, as we've said on this podcast, Luther was an occasional theologian. He, he wrote uh, for particular situations, um, but Luther also had a very clear idea of who was behind the evil in, uh, in the world and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him making clear that, of course, um, God is uh, able to conquer Satan with one word. Presumably, that word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, 
That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And so Luther, if he wrote this before the, the deet or diet of worms, um, is exhibiting profound faith in God's providence, that if everyone else um, leaves him, if, his, if, he, if he becomes utterly destitute of, of things and of family, if he even loses his life, that um, God's truth abides still. It kind of reminds me of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel, where uh, they're standing before, what was, uh, was it, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar at that point, um, and they said, we're not going to bow to this idol of yours because God or God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow to the idol because there is but one God. So Luther is saying something much, much the same way that even if I lose everything that I have, including my life, God's truth will prevail over Satan. And you can see the subtext here that this is both a, uh, a view of Christ's victory over the powers of sin, death, and the devil and a victory of the truth of the Reformation over the lie of um, what is uh, standing opposed to the truth of Christ. So, um, you know, when you go first in these things, you never really know what you're, uh, <laughs> yeah. what it's going to look like or, or what you, um, what other people are going to want to do with it. So that's, yeah. that's what I've got. Um, or as far as Gump says, that's all I've got to say about that. Well, excellent. I mean, um, Charlie or Stephen, feel free to to jump in. I mean, I had there had it been like maybe two years ago, as like recent as that, or like um, at other points in my life, if you would have asked me, like, yeah, my top five favorite hymns, uh, like Mighty Fortress, definitely would have been on it i guess i've just gone uh you know like our we just go through phases and whatnot and and some things uh resonate with you and it's hard to, it's more than others it's hard to choose but um i'm sure you all kind of found that as we picked our five but i like your breakdown of i like how you gave us a few of the lines few of the verses from the um from the hymn uh, but also uh, related it to um, it's kind of central. It's, it, not only that it's reformational, um, which of course it is, but it's not like an earthly uh, partisan uh, hymn of one group of Christians versus another. It's, it's much more <laughs> cosmic, I guess, if you will, mm -hmm. than that. Um, and it's, uh, it's Christocentric and it's, um, you know, there's, yeah, I mean, that you could reflect on the words, the texts of a mighty fortress all day. I really like the tune as well. And this is one of those, I mean, uh, Luther's known for many things. It's often forgotten that he is a, that he was a musician 
Um, I've seen some like artistic portrayals of him with like a lute or something in that lute family. I don't know what all the instruments they have then, but um, where he's singing and there's like children gathered around and whatnot. And um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, he's, um, he was, wrote some very good original uh, tunes. Uh, to my knowledge, none, none of us of the four are musicologists. So um, I like, at least when I present mine, I, I won't be able to get into, uh, you know, the, the meter it's written in and, and, <laughs> and get into a musical analysis of why the key it's written, this hymn is written in versus another's like makes, get, gives the, the hymn its feel and whatnot. I know like uh, church organists and musicians like Aaron can, can speak to that. Um, and uh, I want to thank Aaron, yes, uh, for, for he actually did not just that to all the samples of the hymns that we'll be doing, um, the little 50 second segments we'll be playing. He, uh, he played all of these on organ and some piano and recorded them all for us. Thank you, Aaron, shout out to you. Um, so yeah, uh, any thoughts on A Mighty Fortress from, our, from other guys? I've got a couple of things. Um, one is, um, I think Luther's arrangement is much better. Um, <laughs> I, I have a I have a friend who was one of my music professors um, in college, who uh, was organist in I think it was inner city inner city Chicago once, and uh, his pastor wanted to use the Bach arrangement and he wanted to use the Luther arrangement. And they decided to make a bet to settle who would which which arrangement they would use. And uh, my professor, Dr. Held, told his pastor, "Well, you just go out and grab anybody on the street, bring them in, and I'll play each version, and I'll play it as well as I possibly can. And whatever they pick, we go with." And so Ooh. the pastor goes out and got and gets a drug dealer off of the corner and brings him in <laughs> and he picked Luther's arrangement because it was the one that was hip <laughs> so I, I guess this is one place where Wait, I am hip he um, picked, sorry the drug dealer picked Luther Luther, Luther. Yeah. Okay. and I don't know um, the other thing oh go ahead I'm sorry you had another yeah. the, the other thing is the, the little word this has been a matter of uh, much debate in Luther's scholarship. Um, my professor, Namichi Masaki, um, and Oswald Bayer argue that the hymn was written in 1527 because there's treatises by Luther at that time where he refers to a little word that can fell the devil in all his might. And the word there is, is, as in, this is my body. This is the New Testament <laughs> in my blood. And so, um, so Masaki and Bayer favor is, which I, I kind of like that one too. Um, Luther himself, uh, later on though, in his treatise against Hanswurst, um, says that the word is liar. That if you want to defeat Satan, you just call him a liar. Yeah. Uh, so I think one can make a, an argument uh, for each. I think 
what I think is it might have initially been is, so that might have been what he was thinking about when he wrote the hymn. But then, you know, a decade or two later, when he's fighting a different battle, as you mentioned, he's an occasional theologian, um, he might have reinterpreted himself to have it be liar. But there's lots of words that would work there. Yeah. Um, I mean, any word God speaks is going to defeat Satan. Mm -hmm. So it could the, be uh, it could be liar, it could be lots of things. So the hymnal that I have sitting here while we're recording, I have a few hymnals at home, but I actually don't have my, my actually do have some, I do have a couple of Lutheran hymnals, but I have the uh, 1940 hymnal, which was used by the Episcopal Church up until 82. And uh, Mighty Fortress is hymn number 551 in this hymnal and actually says Melody Martin Luther in 1529. So I guess that's kind of closer to the Oswald Bayer year that you gave. Charlie, but um, it's got four verses, and yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a little hung up on the spiritual warfare uh, concept here. Like you know, mentioned earlier that um, that people don't give Luther credit for taking much time with spiritual warfare, and and to me, like that's kind of his life with spiritual warfare, right? Um, it's kind of a weird thing for people to assume. Um, but I, one thing that I think is really valuable in, in this song and in us as Christians now, um, thinking through what living a life of spiritual warfare means is that it's so easy to look at bad things happening around us in the direction of our society in the direction of theology and pick out, uh, human people to, to, you know, heave our anger upon, right. Um, pick out human targets and, 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 you know, act as though, and, behave as though and talk to them or talk about them as though they are the enemy. And in reality, you know, with, with uh, uh, Luther having as many human enemies as he had, for him to focus on the actual spiritual battle behind the scenes to know that, you know, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not, you know, liberal Christians. It's not um, these people over saying crazy things. It's really, it is, it is the enemy of our souls behind all this stuff. Uh, that's dragging the world to hell, and I think it's not an unimportant, uh, not an unimportant point to to keep in front of our eyes. And it's really easy to lose sight of. So, um. yeah, a lot of our view, uh, I guess David Zoll would call it uh, a high anthropo high anthropology. Those who get so, the most disappointed in other people, uh, and who demonize and vilify other people the most, uh, mm. have too high of a view of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> that they don't realize that all of our souls are marred mm. um yeah well, and to go with my to go with my hymn i have my luther coffee mug it says i've got 95 problems but romans 8 1 <laughs> yeah james and i are the weirdest episcopalians like oh there's, no, there's no other episcopalian to talk about luther well no there are but uh they're you know we'll have them on the show Oh, but, <laughs> but, but most other like seven of to talk about Luther speak derisively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Lutheran pastor, and you guys talk about Luther more, more than most of my Lutheran pastor friends. I wear that as a badge of honor, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the way it's intended. <laughs> yeah, um. Oh, I lost my train of thought on that. On uh, well, the, the the spiritual warfare. Um, you know, some Luther biographers have really captured that aspect of Luther's life, 
very well. I mean, I think of uh, the book Luther, Man Between God and the Devil, right in the subtitle by Heiko Uberman, um, which is all about how Luther kind of saw the devil behind a lot of things. I mean, it didn't in that regard he's never very much a late does a better job of getting you into the pre-modern worldview that yeah. luther you know lived and breathed in that that is a fantastic book it is i think he kind of re um he kind of like started kind of that whole school of seeing luther more as a late medieval person rather than like you know the father of modernity which you know was Kind of, he was kind of seen as for some time. Uh, and that's a, because... that's a common Catholic polemic against Luther today, too, right? Right. That uh, that he was a that he was, yeah, uh, the first of the uh, modern school. By the okay. way, the the place that I got that idea from that people tend to think of Luther as merely a theologian who deals in propositional statements as opposed to cosmic realities. Um, that's one of the arguments that Gustav Allen makes in his book, Christus Victor. Um, so for further reading notes, yeah. Um, yeah, who would like, uh, so let's, uh, should we have a vote on here? Who likes the Bach or Luther arrangement better? I think I know where Charlie is. <laughs> Charlie, am I right to say that you like Luther's arrangement of it? Um, you're right. It's one of the only places where I prefer someone over Bach. <laughs> there you go. Uh, definitely the Bach. Yeah, I'm, I'm Bach. I'm, and I think Luther might have even said Bach. He just, you know, I don't know. Bach, <laughs> Bach basically was like just the musical version of, that's wrong to say, because Luther was musicals. But um, yeah, <laughs> Bach is Luth Lutheranism put to music rather than a theology text. <laughs> so, there you go, yeah. Luther hated isometric arrangements. Sorry? Luther hated isometric arrangements. Okay, well. So, yeah. so there's Luther no way he would have gone with Bach on this. Luther uh, <laughs> is flipped in his grave whenever a church sings a mighty fortress now, unfortunately. Unless it's his grave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um how about who wants to go next for our next uh hymn my hymn is luther so i don't think i should go next okay okay <laughs> Stephen, well why don't we have you go okay. all right my, my hymn is uh jesus paid it all Jesus paid it all. Uh, another name for it is uh, All to Christ I Owe. Uh, information's a little spotty. I've got some different uh, stories of the origin, which were, were all interesting. Written around uh, 1865 um, by Elvina Hall. 
that's the she wrote the lyrics and then John Grape uh, wrote the music for it. Um, the most romantic story that I heard of how this or read of how this uh, song came to be was that Elvina uh, was in the choir loft listening to a very long prayer uh, by the pastor of the church and she was bored. Um, and so she started she started her mind went to thinking about Jesus and thinking about her own sin and all that stuff. And so she literally pulled out a hymnal and wrote the uh, the first the first verse and the refrain uh, in the flyleaf of the of the hymnal. Um, and, you know, after she had defaced church property, she felt like it was good enough to actually go in and show the pastor and the pastor of the church was uh, it's a Methodist church and the pastor was. Uh, he read it, he thought it was great, and he said, you know what, um, this is a paraphrase, our organist just wrote music the other day that he presented to me that have no lyrics, and they go so well together, and he just stuck them together, and the rest is history. Um, that is, you know, the most uh, concise and fun and probably not true version of the story. Uh, but uh, the other, the other other idea is that she wrote the music uh you know in church and in, on you know everything i read said that she did write it in a hymnal it's kind of cool um and that it made its way through you know from hand to hand different people that it that had had it until a pastor uh received it and he realized it would go well with the with the work of his uh, uh organist that he knew and so that's that's how that got put together uh, like i said around 1865 um, it's had different names. There are different uh, variations on on verses. Some of which uh, I liked. Some of which I'd never I'd never heard before. Um, and there's also it's some versions have uh, cleanse the leopards spots like the animal, and some have <laughs> lepers spots. And both evidently are correct. And uh, I so feel like one of those has to be a typo. I know, right? You know, or, you know they, they misheard it or something. Um, but I'm like, you know, it's weird. They both work, though. They both work. So you know, cleanse the leopards, the leopards spot. Yeah, you know, like you could, you could take those. What do they say? You know, uh, leopards can't change their spots. Well, with Jesus, leopards can change their spots. Okay, sure, you can do what no other person can. <laughs> that's right. Wash them as white as a snow leopard. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. So anyway, the episode washed as white as a snow leopard. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a beautiful song. I've heard it uh, my whole life in church uh, and growing up in church. Uh, it, this is one of the things that's interesting to me about about hymns. And uh, and Drew, you mentioned the very beginning of this episode that uh, the music is like one of our the greatest gifts God's given us as the church. Um, We've had all kinds of fractures and splits and, uh, you know, uh, theological, you know, breakings apart. We're going to go do our own thing. We've had that throughout church history, um, but we keep the music. You know what I mean? We keep the music. Like, you know, we, I did not grow up Methodist, but I grew up singing a Methodist hymn, you know. Um, and we, if we have something that's powerful, that we love, that ties us back to uh, when we first met Christ, we're not willing to give that up like we will many other things, like we will just ideas, you know what I mean? Um, which I think is pretty cool. But yeah, I grew up with this song. Uh, I've heard it my whole life. And it's one of those where it's it's a very, it's a very simple song and it's not one of these, it's too, uh, too difficult to get your head around. But I also feel like when you're singing it, a different verse will capture your, your imagination uh, if you're paying attention, which I think is cool. And 
I can go through it real quick, but uh, you know, the refrain is Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And that's, that's the whole song. The whole song goes back and forth uh, describing um, our state before God and the way in, in which Christ changes us. It's a song about, about transformation and change. Um, some of it, and this is, I think, interesting. I, I was having a hard time determining whether or not the change that she's talking about uh, in these words is is kind of the legal the legal change of you know though we're you know we have, we do we sin we are legally before God uh, cleansed of our sin or whether she's talking about sanctification um, and being being made truly different which um, I kind of like that those ideas are kind of pushed together. Being a Methodist, she she probably had one thing in mind, but I guess there's nothing to stop us from seeing it forensically either um there you go you brought up a good point steve i i don't sorry if i cut you off because i know you're no no go for it to go through um you mentioned the kind of the a good point that hymnody is very ecumenical um in a way that like so much of other things in the church and church life aren't and i think there's like good reasons for why so many denominations will share certain hymns and there's this hymns you'll like Rafe Von Williams who sneak you know spoiler for who wrote the tune of the hymn I'm doing today he's found in so many hymnals from so many denominations and um and I know that some and I imagine like Charlie's church body I want to speak for him but I know like his church body as well as the Episcopal church too to a certain extent like there there are certain like if, if they come across certain texts of hymns that uh they may see as problematic theology, they won't use them. But I think most, I think most hymn writers had in mind when they wrote hymns that, you know, this needs to be, you know, mere Christianity, you know, mm -hmm. things that can be shared and sung, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the essential fundamental things. And again, I'm talking about the texts. I mean, the tunes, you can use any tune. Right. And so, that the beauty of, and I kind of like that. I mean, that's how I've worked ecumenically as a school chaplain who, even though I'm Episcopalian, only 15% of the students in any given situation are Episcopalian. Um, it's how I've dealt with like friends and family who are of different denominations, some very different denominations of my own. Uh, but there is something called mere Christ Christianity, I believe. Mm -hmm. um you know the the core essentials um that you cannot remove or also won't yeah. be christian anymore you know yeah. but yeah what a lot often happen in a missouri synod hymnal is they'll just tweak a couple of words and then in the notes in the bottom of the hymn page they put alt which means that it was altered um but you know there are a few hymns in our hymnal where you know, Lutherans seen them all their lives and they, they seen them understanding them to say one thing, whereas the, the hymn writer meant something quite, quite different. Um, like, uh, not all the blood of beasts or glory be to Jesus. You know, they can be understood and heard in a very Lutheran sacramental way, but um, the writers of those hymns meant none of that <laughs> um, yeah and and so I, I i mean i think we do that all the time um mm -hmm. 
I don't really believe in your Christianity unless you're talking about you know, the Book of Concord. But um, <laughs> um, isn't that mere? I, Christianity? I do understand. <laughs> isn't the Book of Concord mere Christianity? I think. <laughs> I think the, our basic, yeah. So I mean, if that's what you're talking about, I believe in it. Um, but if you're not, then I don't. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a. I call myself a Shiite Lutheran. <laughs> That is a friend who, does, who is enough of a terrorist that negotiating with me just make any sense. Well, if, if we're going to start speaking, well, I shouldn't make that analogy, but if, if we're going outside of normative Niceno Christianity, and this touches on a note Charlie mentioned, I was, I heard a Mormon version of, and I guess if you listen to Mormon Tabernacle Choir, which is a great one of the world's greatest choirs, even though I don't agree with their theology at all, obviously. Um, some of their Christmas hymns, I, was, I, I heard a Christmas hymn from a Mormon choir once, and I think it was, oh gosh, what was it? Um, it was Joy to the World. And the lyrics in there were so changed, and it was almost changed to be like... Was, about, was it Joy to This World? or uh... No, it was, it was like about... A lot of like the, um, I guess more, uh, again, I don't have the text of that hymn in front of me and I could correct myself later because I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Joy to the World though because I remember standing there and hearing this, these Mormons are singing it. And some of the very like, I guess, Nicene elements of it um, as it talked, as it referred to Jesus and Trinity, um, those were um, kind of, they were, in place of those were things about our our loving service and charity to one another almost like social action and it, and for a lot of people don't know mormons you know mormons get this idea that they're like very conservative christians or something because they they wear white polos and you know conservative outfits and go door to door but they they, were, they came out of the mormonism came out of the enlightenment and and was very critical of a doctrine you know doctrinal doctrinally focused christians and that you know uh, so it was uh, it actually made sense um a lot of people would probably hear with without that knowing that difference would probably hear that hymn and think it would it's the same thing that you hear everywhere else but yeah it was a, the text was altered in the mormon version of joy to the world so drew i think what you meant to say is instead of mormonism coming out of the enlightenment i think you meant to say mormonism came out of joseph smith's head well, it came out of Joseph Smith's head, who was, in, who was influenced by many of the Enlightenment's takes on old-time Christianity, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got a friend that says Mormonism is... Sorry? Joseph Smith grew up in upstate New York um, in what is commonly called the burned-over district. And uh, people have been uh, so uh, disillusioned by Christianity through the, you know, the preachers that would kind of ramble through the area that uh, the people in that area did have a certain rationalistic bent. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it came out of Joseph Smith's head, but Joseph Smith's head kind of came out of um, rationalistic landscape. So it doesn't shock me that we would that we would see these um uh I don't know 
we that we would that we would we would look at Mormonism and smell rationalism sometime. Yeah, right. I was just being snarky and pithy. So that's that's good. I mean, that's awesome. Um. I, I want I want to live I want to live right there in the Venn diagram. I want to live right there. <laughs> snarky um, and pithy. <laughs> what were you saying, Stephen, about Mormonism <laughs> before? Uh, <laughs> No, I've, I've got a I've got a friend that says that Mormonism is the greatest religion that man's ever invented. Um, <laughs> that's, that's his quote. I just saw in the chat, James. Did you just send me the lyrics from the Mormon version? Yes. Uh, oh, trying to, trying to. It even uh, says altered by William W. Phelps. I'm trying uh -huh. to see what they altered. I'm trying to see what in here is more rational. <laughs> Uh, while Israel spreads abroad like stars that glitter in the sky, is that in the original? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say probably not. I don't remember. Don't, uh, that doesn't ring a bell. I don't remember <laughs> glitter yeah, being that, that, that last is very, uh, very restorationist. Yeah, <laughs> which would fit with Mormonism very nicely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, and the uh, the second stanza. It's almost hard to get it in your head with the tune because it's rejoice, rejoice when Jesus reigns. It took me 30 seconds to figure out how to put that to the tune. That's how I figured right. it out. And I want to say, I'm sorry, Stephen, that we kind of ignored your, your hymn. Um, I, the reason I'm not saying anything about it is that I know absolutely nothing about anything related to that hymn. <laughs> um. Well, but I think I, 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 I try to get listening to you talk about it anyway. Yeah. Um, I could. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's, I was looking at where they altered the Mormon. And I don't, I guess I don't get why they altered some of that because some of it wouldn't even seem problematic to a Mormon. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, but Stephen, yeah, I, I think I've heard Jesus paid it all. In fact, I'm going to, I have a, Methodist hymnal that belonged to my like third great grandparents. It's on my bookshelf. I want to go grab it and see if it's in there. Yeah, yeah. Quick. Um, yes. But uh, I hear the Savior falling apart. Um, <laughs> yeah, my have Methodist family uh, through my my paternal grandmother, who I just saw last week. Uh, and uh, oh gosh, I don't even know how to navigate this. It was before they put music in the. Index of first lines. Let's just see if it's if this is in there. You said it was from 1865. Yes. Jesus. Right around there. No. It must predate it. Because it goes from Jesus, our Lord, how rich thy grace to Jesus, refuge of the weary. Okay, I, I just I put the lyrics in the chat. Okay. Um, yeah, I looked it up in the old Methodist hymnal. Um, I have, I think it might predate it though. I, I'll have to look at what the date it was of that hymnal. Um, but yeah, cool. A couple uh -huh. of uh, rhymes they had to fudge there. Uh, for nothing good I have, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. So mm -hmm. <laughs> very, very atonement. Like yeah, very okay. much. Um, now in him complete my robe his righteousness clothed sheltered neath his side i am divinely blessed so yeah it's it's a beautiful little song and it's pretty easy to to catch on to um you know uh, 
uh, when you're when you're sitting here in church, you go back to that refrain over and over again. But and who are uh, wanted to catch? Who are the writers again? I had Hall and Grape. Yes, Grape. Uh, let's see here. Hold on. Interesting sure name, right. Grape. Yeah, John T. Grape. Okay. And then Elvina M. Hall. I've noticed as we uh, women wrote a lot of hymns. Um, yeah. I've noticed. Um, even when the time when you didn't see a lot of women doing anything literary, artistic, with our notable exceptions, there was just lots of women doing uh, church music. So, so, um, cool. Anything else from anyone else before we move on to the next? Interestingly enough, Elvina Hall was born in Alexandria, Virginia, where I went to seminary. Interesting. Aren't you basically there now? Well, kind I of. I am 30 miles 30, south of there. 30 miles south. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, let's do, would you like to go, Charlie, or do you want me to go? Or? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. All right. Today, I am going to talk about uh, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Um, which was written by Martin Luther and Justice Jonas. Keep us steadfast is um, probably among Lutherans at least Luther's second uh, most famous hymn. Uh, in fact, in some of our hymnals, this might shock you. Uh, this hymn is the assigned hymn of the day for Reformation Day, not a mighty fortress. And uh, I got in big trouble when I was a high school teacher for using it on Reformation Day um, in chapel. Um, instead of a mighty fortress, uh, because everybody expected a mighty fortress, and I used this instead. In any case, it is a great hymn. Um, it's much more focused on the Word of God um, itself than a mighty fortress is, though, of course, the themes run through uh, both of the hymns. It was probably written in 1541, which was when uh, the Turks were a, a very existential threat uh, to Germany. Uh, the siege of Buda uh, was happening at that time in Hungary. And there was definitely a feeling that if, if the Turks prevailed there, uh, that they could overrun all of Europe. And uh, of course they were eventually stopped in Vienna uh, but the Turks were very much on the mind of everybody at the time. And I, I'm going to read uh, two different versions of the first verse, which Luther wrote. And it was the first thing that Luther wrote of the hymn. And then the other two verses that are usually used were written by Jonas. But um, here's that first verse. First, I'm going to read it in uh, 
this is Lutheran service book, which is the hymnal that, that we use at my church. Um, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. And then uh, this is an older, um, an older translation. Um, there's several different translations of it, um, but most of them leave this content out. This one is fairly close to the German. Um, Lord, keep us steadfast in thy word and break the Pope's and Turk's fell sword, who fain would hurl from off thy throne Christ Jesus, thy beloved son. Uh, my favorite translation for that second line has restrain the murderous Pope and Turk, which is also pretty close to the, to the German. But you can see the historical context there, right? I mean, um, the, the Turks are ready to invade. And so Luther writes a hymn, uh, which is primarily a prayer that God would preserve us um, from those who, who would want to kill us. And at that time, especially, um, the Pope and the Turk were uh, the most likely people to do that. In fact, the next, you know, 100 years or so of Lutheran history can really be defined by uh, Lutherans attempting to survive wave after wave after wave of attacks from Roman Catholic princes. And, uh, and, the, and the Turks were a very real threat then too. One reason why I, I love this hymn, especially uh, the orig original wording of it, is that I think that you can sing that line unambiguously even in the present, especially uh, the stuff about the Turk. Uh, I mean, my life has really been defined by our response to terrorism. I mean, back when I was a kid, I remember remember when Reagan bombed Gaddafi after uh, uh, Lockerbie, um, you know, uh, plane bombing and all of that stuff. Um, that's one of my earliest memories. And, you know, nothing has changed. Terrorism is still something that we deal with all the time. And at least one element of the reason why we have to deal with that is the theological hatred that the Turk has for anyone who is Christian or even, even vaguely Christian in a cultural sense. And uh, in my uh, personal encounters with uh, Roman Catholics, even though I have a lot of Roman Catholic friends, I have some friends who are uh, Roman Catholic who have every bit as much hatred for the pure gospel now as they did in 1541. And so I think that uh, the hymn is wonderful in the fact that it, it calls upon us to uh, remain steadfast to God's word um, and nothing else. Um, and, and it also, you know, as I mentioned, it strikes me 
that much of the historical context that Luther had when he wrote it applies uh, in a similar way now uh, to the way that it did in 1541. Uh, so, I mean, this is kind of my battle cry of the Re Reformation. I love a mighty fortress, but um, we've seen a mighty fortress at my church probably three, four times a year, and we probably read uh, Lord Keep Us Steadfast once a month. Um, I feel like Lord Keep Us Steadfast, maybe with some of the uh, texts about um, Turk and Pope like altered, I feel like that's in the Episcopal hymnal, James, isn't it? It is. Um, I it's not in the 1940. I think it's. I've in got the, the 79. Oh, I've got the 82 right here. Let me take the 82 one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder you have to go. You have to go back to like the 1880s or before uh, to find an English translation that uh, talks about the Pope and the Turk. Uh, most people in the 20th and 21st century have never encountered that translation. Well, I remember the, uh, the uh, Lutheran church had a hymn in the 1800s uh, by Matthias Loy, who was actually, he went to the seminary that I went to, the, the, at least the, EL, the, the ELCA seminary that my seminary was a part of a century ago when that was a Lutheran seminary in Columbus, it wasn't ELCA yet. Matthias Loy was there and he wrote a hymn. It was uh, when earth had shrouded or when Rome had shrouded earth in night and Luther with the gospel came to spread the news of Jesus. We've <laughs> seen like, that. On I wouldn't sing this in a. Yeah, <laughs> I've, uh, it's a, it is a fun hymn. I've got it right over here. Yeah. Um, this is the, Evangelical Lutheran Synod's um, hymnal. They're the they're the Norwegian Lutherans. Okay. Um, the happy and, uh, ones or the sad ones, or am I thinking of the Danes where they just? Uh, <laughs> that is a it, it is a fun hymn. Um, I uh, I have a version of it that was uh, set to uh, the tune of. Um, Ye watchers and ye holy ones, and it adds the alleluias to it, mm -hmm. and uh, that makes it that makes it even more fun. Um, let me see if I can find find that in here. Um, While you're doing that, Drew, we don't have uh, "Lord Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word," but we have the tune "Erhalt uns Er" by Luther, and it's interestingly enough set to the words of the glory of these 40 days which is by pope gregory interesting well, it wasn't pope gregory uh, a, it is a really it is the the tune is probably much uh better known uh than the than the hymn itself um i mean the hymn the hymn is known well in lutheran circles but um if you look up uh erhaltu hair in just about any um any hymnal you might find half a dozen hymns that that use it that's um, right i couldn't find 
I couldn't find that loy hymn in uh, in this hymnal, so I'm just looking at my my Refor Reformation Day bulletin uh, where I have it. So here's a here's that hymn that Drew mentioned by Matthias Loy. When Rome had shrouded earth in night, God said again that there be light, and Luther with the gospel came to spread the truth in Jesus' name. Yeah. When Rome, the saints of God oppressed and burdened souls could find no rest, through Luther God deliverance sent by his pure word and sacrament. And uh, I mean, it's it's it, the very best triumphalistic I, Lutheranism. It is. I can't, I just can't do the, I can't do the triumphalistic I mean, I don't think Luther even would have wanted his <laughs> to be sung about that. I, 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 I allow, but I allow myself to be a triumphalistic Lutheran one Sunday a year. Um. Well, that's going back to James. That that's where I've heard this Luther tune is in that Lenten hymn, uh, which I love. By the way, I mean that. Was, I mean, I guess I. I guess I've noticed, I guess I've looked at the bottom of the page at one instance and, and saw, and then I'd forgotten that's what, that, that was the Luther, Luther tune, so. Well, and, and there, I'm looking up, there are, there are two others that use the tune as well. If you give me two seconds, I can tell you. Descend, O Spirit, purging flame for holy baptism. And then... When Christ's appearing was made known for Epiphany, so it would definitely be the Lenten one because no one uses all the music from Epiphany uh, in church during the season after the Epiphany, um, and very few people use um, an obscure hymn like "Come, o, Come, O Spirit, Purging Flame" for baptism. Yeah. So. Yeah, I that I feel like that hymn's at least played twice during the season of Lent in like all the Episcopal churches I've been a part of. Um, I guess uh, if there's nothing farther, I guess I'll go to mine. Um, we, so my, uh, let me cue up the music here. My next hymn um, is At the Name of Jesus. At the Name of Jesus, uh, uh, the tune is Kings Weston by uh, Rafe Vaughn Williams, not Ralph, Rafe. We have to be English and fancy. So even though I had a grandfather named Ralph, I didn't call him Rafe. But and the text is by Caroline Maria Noel, uh, who she has a very interesting story, which I'll get to in a moment. I'm, uh, we'll go ahead and um, play the hymn. <laughs> I just think it's a powerful hymn. Uh, I'll read some of the lines. And my favorite is stanza four, verse four. Um, in your hearts enthrone him, there let him subdue 
all that is not holy, all that is not true. Crown him as your captain in temptation's hour. Let his will enfold you in its light and um, power. The author of these words, she has a fascinating story, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, I don't really have much of a personal history with this hymn, like I do some of the others on my list. Um, in fact, I think I remember kind of latching onto this hymn and liking it like it could have been as recent as a year ago. Um, though I've heard it before then, um, I don't, I believe this, this is in a lot of hymnals. Uh, I see, I think it's in like 206 hymnals according to hymnary.org, which is a great website for uh, any, for any of you or any of our listeners who don't um, use it. Um, it gives you kind of a basic history origin, if it, if, if it's, well, if, if they know it, of these different tunes. Um, the tune for this hymn is King's Weston, which is actually a building in King's Weston, England somewhere. And of course, uh, Rayfon Williams is English. And Rayfon Williams, I was watching a BBC documentary about him last night on YouTube, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. Um, it, it looked ripped and bad quality, but it's been 10 years and no one shut it down. So um, figures <laughs> free to the public but um but he had a fascinating story um i didn't know that he served in world war one like in uh in like a combat role um he wasn't like a church uh army band leader or anything he was in combat and like i guess many artists and like many filmmakers and like many theologians who went through the first world war and trench warfare i forever changed them obviously forever altered their um uh, not just them, but but the art they made. And uh, some of the symphonies he wrote kind of, especially I, I would imagine like right after that late 1910s period had a darker tone and where if you listen to it, it actually brings you discomfort um, and it's like it's supposed to, um, like it's not supposed to bring feelings of awe and beauty and peace like so much music does. Um, but then he also wrote so much music, um, so much beautiful music. One of Rayfon Williams, um, I know our listeners can't see it, but I have a vinyl of uh, some of my, with some of my favorite um, music from Rayfon Williams. This is a vinyl of Sir Adrian Bolt, the uh, composer conducting uh, the, Philharmon the Philharmonic Promenade Orchestra. And they do Four of, my, four of my favorite pieces all in one record, uh, Norfolk Rhapsody, English Folk Suite, uh, Fantasia on Green Sleeves, and Fantasia on a Theme of Talus. Uh, Vaughan Williams is one of the greatest British composers. Um, he was very interested. In many ways, he was like a curator of like English folk music, um, which if you, if you ever dabble into folk music, um, and even if you heard more like modern iterations of it that are based on traditional tunes a lot of these traditional tunes uh, are so old that they're I mean kind of it's, it's all like open it, it's it's open for anyone to kind of incorporate use because it's so old it's it's you know public domain I guess but the authors are not known I mean they're like centuries old and um Vaughn Williams was really like the first I guess modern I mean modern like 20th century like in recent years person he, he was the first to really bring a lot of these old folk tunes together and arrange them for people to hear perhaps for the first time in a very long time. 
Um, and so a lot, and a lot of his music is secular in that sense. Um, but it, he, you know, it, it's amazing because he comes from a time when uh, he wrote so much church music too and, and sacred music, but he was agnostic um, according to the documentary I saw. But it reminds me of a time when like a secular person could have a, a strong liter, a strong biblical literacy and an appreciation of the Bible and also to recognize like the literary value, the moral value and the artistic value of like scriptural content that I think is lost today uh, in our, you know, more secular period than hundred years ago where a lot of our artistic and moral and um, literary leaders, they don't have, uh, they have like a very elementary, if that very crude understanding of what Christianity and even religion even is. So I think he's kind of, um, he's kind of a, a emblematic of a time where scripture was seen for this uh, immense value, even if you like weren't a self-professed Christian. Um, he's written, I think, gosh, I, I don't have a 1982 hymnal. I'm James could look if you wanted, not giving him like something to do, but if you want, but according to the I look in the index and he's he has 16 hymns that appear in the Episcopal Church's 1940 hymnal, which is not the one we use. I don't know how many he's gotten 82. I figure it's a similar number. Um, but some of them, I mean, it, not everyone may know at the name of Jesus, but everyone knows uh, Old Little Town of Bethlehem. He wrote that. Uh, he wrote the Old 100th, which I keep forgetting. Uh, he wrote Hail the Festival Day. He wrote "All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name." I mean, he so many much of this religious music. For all the saints is the most uh, iconic one for me. For all the saints, um, yeah. So he did. Uh, I mean, there's you know where to start with him. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on him. I uh, I mean, he's he's an amazing person. Um, his personal life, this documentary. Um, he's he was uh, he had a lots of. Uh, he was always kind of surrounded by women who kind of uh, greatly admired him and thought he was brilliant. And um, he uh, was uh, likely a philander. Well, he was, uh, he did have an affair with someone later in his life. And, and this person, I can't think of her name. She was very much an inspiration for him musically and, and artistically. And so you get these elements of his personal life that obviously, um, fall short of the glory of God but um so yeah uh he, he see like seemed like he was kind of partly his and his wife um who he stayed with until his death she she was severely uh disabled and sick much like the writer of this tune actually which I'll get to say um and so like he stayed with her but we don't really know what their companionship was like um he was spoken of by so many as a loyal husband, like in that sense, but then he also, uh, but yeah, he just kind of had a, he had a lot of students and a lot of the female students, he would always be kind of with them and going to their, um, going to hear their performances and stuff. Um, which I guess that's, you know, what the mark of any good teacher would do going to encourage someone they're performing but, but yeah so but he he would not he would not survive in our 21st century academic uh context of being a music professor like that we'll just say that like, that would be a uh no no but uh but yeah uh but anyways the the 
the writer of the text of at, at the name of Jesus is Catherine Maria Noel. And she died, she lived to be 60, which uh, wasn't that young for the 1800s. Um, and that's surprising because she was severely sick um, for, from like a very, from a relatively young age. And she spent most of her life uh, bedridden and in one room and nevertheless um, she wrote a lot of poetry and it was all Christian poetry it was all um, and it was all like focused on Jesus like I mean this hymn is very Christocentric at the name of Jesus I mean um, I know some hymnals have like a section that just say like Jesus or Jesus Christ it's not like of course all church music is about him but it's like music that is of no other occasion other than to glorify Jesus Christ. Um, that would be like the genre of hymnody or poetry or, you know, that, that she wrote. Um, and there's, I found her, I'll put it in the show notes. I found a, a free copy of a book on, on internet archive, which houses digitized copies of so much, you know, written work before like 1999 um, generously, you know, given by libraries and stuff. And um, it says that, um, this is what it says of her. It says the, uh, that her, her fruits were advanced and ripened, but they were developed from a natural, her fruits like her, I guess they like, like the fruits of the spirit, her, her gifts. Uh, they were developed from a natural character of more than ordinary breath of beauty. All who knew her uh, in outwardly brighter days were conscious of rich and varied powers of mind, of a delicate refinement, of a singular playfulness of thought, and a love of all that is beautiful in nature and in art, together with an ever-deepening humility, which were among her as early as well as her later um, years. Um, so, and then it, skipping to the end of it, it says, amid the many lights that were graciously permitted to fall across this shadowed life and that gave so cheering and joyous a brightness to this sick room where she was pretty much confined to, must be mentioned the pleasure derived from the unusual acceptance given to this volume. This is the volume of her works, which was published uh, towards the end of her life. Often was her heart gladdened by the testimonies received from varied and quite unexpected quarters to the encouragement, consolation, or help with its perusal had afforded, while the knowledge of some of its verses were to be heard in the church's public services from which their author had been so long withheld was an additional source of gladness. So I thought that was interesting because in so much, I mean, James and uh, Charlie, you definitely know, like so much of the church work is visiting the homebound, the people that come can't come to church. And it's like, we're bringing church to them. Uh, we're bringing the, usually it's in the context of a Eucharistic visit. Um, at least in the Episcopal Church, I know it's what we do a lot. And so there's that kind of like someone from the church coming, but this is an interesting instance of, of her writing and her, her devotion making its way to the church from a home she couldn't leave. And I'm like, wow, that's beautiful, you know, and so much so that one of the most commonly sung hymns at all, of all of Christendom <laughs> is this hymn. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it was, a uh, um, the two people behind it are very interesting and people and then also the the hymn itself is just uh one i like a lot so there are 24 tunes by ray Vaughan williams in the 1982 hymnal oh wow well i guess he lived longer right i mean he was 
he lived to be in the, into the 1960s. So he, yeah, I guess I he, he died in like 58. 58. So I guess he wasn't done writing when they did that earlier in him, though. Maybe yeah. that's the case. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I know we're we're at like an hour and a half. Uh, it won't be an hour and a half to our listeners because we've edited a lot of it, but we've been on Zoom for an hour and a half. Um, but yeah, it's a hymn that speaks for itself. And, um, um, so yeah. The thing that I uh, often will say to people who are, I've told my parishioners that it's quite likely that, that Williams was not a Christian and it, it boggles their mind that someone who isn't a, a Christian could write a tune that marries so beautifully to a, to a Christian text. And, uh, and so what I will say to them is, well, you can understand a text and you can interpret a text really, really well, um, even if you don't believe the text, right. uh, the, this happens all the time. I had a I had a high school teacher who had a MA in English literature, and he had written his thesis on Paradise Lost by John Milton. And uh, my teacher was an atheist, mm -hmm. but he, he could describe Milton's theology with beauty and precision because he was simply basing everything that he said on the text you know so he wasn't a christian but he he understood texts and yeah. i think that's why why williams was able to be such a a good composer i just looked up in my hymnal to see how many texts or i mean how many uh how many uh hymns that he wrote the tune for in lutheran service book and it looks like it's Wow. The Lutherans had no. How many in the current Episcopal, James? Uh, 24. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought the Lutherans outnumbered the Episcopal. <laughs> there, there's lots of instances where non Anglicans will, 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 will be drawn to an Anglican more than Anglicans will, but yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I like what you said, Charlie. I mean, it's, I mean, that Luther called it the external clarity of scripture. Anyone can make sense of the coherence of what a scriptural passage is saying. It, you don't have to be, you don't have to have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's when the inner clarity is part of, right? <laughs> so you need both, I guess, as a Christian, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, he, yeah, he, Williams was a musical genius and I really, you know, I think, I think that God was working there in a way, obviously. Um, and who knows? We don't, you know, we don't know uh, what was in his heart ultimately, I guess, but um, he wrote some damn good. Any, anything that we receive that is good uh, is a gift of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, God doesn't need your permission in order to use you uh, to give good gifts um, through you. Yeah. Like this made me think, and I'm going to go in a childish direction here, but uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, 
C.S. Lewis makes this, you know, this, uh, this world building, makes this place called Narnia, and it's experienced by us, the readers, as a fictional place, right? Just like, you know, uh, you know Hogwarts or, um, you know, or Middle Earth or whatever. Uh, but the story is interesting because the children in the book experience it as a, as a real other world they get to go to, right? If they told their friends about Narnia, it would be like, you know, someone telling us about Middle Earth or whatever, um, because it's, it's fantasy, it's, it's too good to be true, it's not real, it's outside of uh, space and time uh, and reality. Um, and so they, you know, but that could still be appreciated in that way. But for them, it's a real place that they have, they've been to and they have hope to go to again. Uh, and that's kind of, I think it's kind of how it is for us as Christians with uh, the story of the gospel and uh, the supernatural world is, yeah, you know, it can be appreciated um, as a, as a fantasy almost by people that don't, that don't have the hope that we have. Um, and you can get really into it. And you can know a lot about it. And there's a lot of uh, unbelievers that know more about, you know, scripture, highly educated people uh, that know more about scripture, more about theology than a lot of, than most Christians do. Um, but for us, it's not just a thing we know about. It's a, it's a hope that we have. It's something we experience. And, um, to me, that's, that's really cool. That's an interesting point about it. Mm -hmm. Amen. John Williams didn't need to believe in the force in order to write the Star Wars. Right. <laughs> right. Although I have heard an Episcopal priest refer to the Holy Spirit as the force. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Uh. Oh, that's straight from the Jehovah's Witnesses right there. <laughs> uh. Oh, my. Well, on that note, may the force be with you. <laughs> um, but no, thanks, guys. This was great. Um, also with you. <laughs> uh, it, it looks like it will, even though we had some technical difficulties, it does look like it will take and an hour to a little more to do each do one hymn. So I think we'll keep it at one hymn per episode, which means we'll be meeting four more times. And for our listeners, uh, they, they will, you know, you'll see them as they come. We're going to aim to do this monthly to do, um, to release these episodes on our favorite hymns. So uh, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, James. And thank you, uh, Charlie. So we had again, Lord, keep us steadfast from Charlie. James, we had Mighty Fortress. Stephen, we had James or Jesus paid it all. Not James paid it all. Jesus <laughs> no, paid I did it. not. <laughs> James almost paid it all when he left, lost his debit card a month ago. I, is that yeah, resolved? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. yeah. Um, and I, what did I do? Oh, at the name of Jesus. So um, God bless. And we will see everyone uh, back on here. Uh, or when everyone tunes in again, we, we look forward to it. God bless.